So that is creation story, a creation story. There are many, 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 many. But when we talk about oneness, when we talk about oneness, when we talk about what it means to be one, I don't need this anymore, do I? When we talk about what it means to be one, and yet we all feel so separate, that's what it is that... I mean, this is, this is a myth as well. That, that, can you imagine, though, that they're only God, and then God thought, I, there's nobody for me to interact with. And so I'm going to create men and women in my image, as it says in Genesis chapter 1. Male and female, I'm going to create, and they are mirrors to me. They are my image. That's what an image means, y'all, right? The image of me. And then the images forgot that they were simply reflections of the real thing, the one. And then we've wandered since. Now, I happen to believe that that happened on purpose, that it wasn't an accident, that if we if we didn't need to come into human form, which by its very nature makes us forget the truth of who we are, then we wouldn't be here. And yet, I also believe that in our human form, our greatest duty, privilege, the greatest activity we can take place in the greatest opportunity is to remember, is to remember is to remember. And it's hard. And you remember actually means to put the members back together. You get what she did with that song? That was Kirtana, one of my, she's just such a, a beautiful, beautiful songwriter. So I'm going to read you Genesis chapter 2 from um, verse 4 to the end. And it's going to take a little while, so be patient. And I will talk, I will explain it. Don't get scared. <sighs> This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This is the second creation story in the Bible, y'all. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The man was inspirited by God. The body meant nothing. It was only the inspiration of God that created this being. And now every single verse, it says, now the Lord God, now the Lord God, now the Lord God. Yeah, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the, the, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not the tree of good and evil, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. I'm not going to read you about the four rivers. God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it and commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Apparently he didn't meet a dog that day. So God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man and said, she shall be, oh, and the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said, no, we may eat the fruit from, fruit from all the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. The serpent said, you will certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. She saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband and he ate it. Then their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Sound like the beginning of shame to you? He answered, I heard you coming and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree I demanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman put it there. <laughs> she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Well, there's the beginning of blame. She did it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. <laughs> he did it. <laughs> okay. This is the first instance of passing the blame. God, the serpent. Oh, sorry. To the woman, oh, blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry, I got, I got lost. The serpent deceived me and I ate. And then God cursed the serpent. And to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife, her fault, and ate the fruit of the tree, that I told you not to eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed 
them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Zoinks! This is chiefly a story about a feeling of separation. Okay? In the beginning, we knew we were God. We were one with God, just as a baby, a newborn baby cannot distinguish between itself and what is around it. It makes its needs known and its needs are filled. It doesn't know when it's in the mother's body that it's not, that it's separate from the mother and it doesn't know after it comes out of the mother's body that it's separate from the mother. That's us, y'all. In the beginning, in our innocence, in our babyhood, before anyone has told us, you're no good, you're naked, cover up, that's shameful. Before anyone has told us any of those things, we never doubt our goodness and our oneness. We don't have those thoughts, I am one with God. We just are that. We just are that thing, one with God. And then something happens. One time you cry and you cry and you cry and no one answers. And you start getting the idea that, whoa, if it was me feeding me, I would feed me as soon as I cry. So I must be dependent upon something or someone else. And you see then how it goes and how it goes and how it goes. And we may all think of a point in our lives that this happens in babyhood. It's a natural progression, right? as we become aware of the world around us, but we also ingest from our parents, from our culture, from our schools, from our, whoo, from some of our teachers, I'll tell you, from our church, from our society, from our parents' friends, from our friends. We start taking in these ideas of who and what we are, not just who and what the world is, but they tell us who we are and we believe them. And then it takes a lot of work to come back to who we really are. So let's talk about this story. There are so many ways. Y'all, I really went, I have the right job because I love research. <laughs> I love reading. But man, did I go down a rabbit hole this week. I read so many books. But there is, there's a way to read this simply as mythology. There are many creation stories. Um, some of them have things in common. Many of them have things in common. And so, um, and also this idea of, that we talked about last week, this can simply be reverse engineering. Well, I know that I'm in charge of the woman, so she must have not been made equal to me, as it says in Genesis 1. She must have come from me. And can you see how that might dispel the fear that early man might have felt that only the women can give birth? You can say, well, but she wouldn't have been a woman if it hadn't been for me. So I'm really the birth giver of everything. And then she gets to do the laboring after that. Perhaps, perhaps when you're in a patriarchal, um, masculine-centered uh, society. So there's this reverse engineering, this starting with a belief. And we know this is the... 
people do this, and, and the results are insidious. We start with a belief, and then we go back to try to prove it, right? So we start with this belief. Well, I believe, perhaps, that women are inferior to me, so how can I make that into a story that makes sense to me? And then there's the historical context of the mythology. So why did we die? Because we got kicked out of the garden and we can't eat from the tree of life. Notice God didn't say don't eat from the tree of life. He just said don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But suddenly we're not allowed to be immortal is basically what God is saying. You can't eat from the tree of life. You got to get out of the garden. And what is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is the moment at which we start to judge that there is us and there is them. It's the moment when we start to say, I can make a choice and that choice will have a, con uh, will have a consequence, possibly many consequences. When we are spiritually, okay, this is an allegory. These are the spiritual, this is ourselves spiritually from early times. Spiritually, we didn't know there was a difference between us and God, and then one day we went, maybe there is, and shame came in. I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? If you never told your baby they were naked, would they know? No. But someday, it's time. Somebody says, but he's got nothing on, <laughs> right? And then shame came in because whoever told you you were naked perhaps told it to you in such a way, even without saying any words, that you need to, you need to hide this. This is bad. This is bad. I know the church that I grew up in, I thought bodies were I did not think of them as sacred. I thought of them as nasty and carnal. It took me a while to get out of that. So why do we study this? Because <laughs> this is such a powerful story. You can see what it's done in our culture. But why do we study creation stories at all? Because we want to know. We want to know. So there is this mythological sort of idea. And why is life so hard? Why is life so hard? Why do women have to labor to have children? Why do men have to toil in the fields? By the way, that was indicative of the culture of the time that the man, because he was the only one who was allowed to read and write, wrote it down, okay? Men toil hard in the fields, women labor hard in bringing on children. And you have to remember that back then, you started having children when you were 14 and, and then you didn't, you just had one a year till you were, you know, till you hit menopause. And usually you died somewhere before there. <laughs> so the view of life was very, very different, right? The, I've, I've read that um, just a few years AD or BC, just a few years before the common era, um, the life expectancy of a human was about 42 years, right? Women died in childbirth, babies died all the time, men died laboring, toiling in the fields. And so we want to know why this happened. And what do we do when we say, why did this happen? We go, it must be our fault. 
we must have done something wrong. We must have done something really bad. But it was probably her that started it. <laughs> because she tempted me. And then suddenly women are um, responsible for men's sexual urges. How did that happen? But it permeates our society today, y'all. So looking at it metaphysically, Adam is the expression of the first consciousness of God. The first consciousness. Perfect, not animal. The breath of life breathed into it. And then what we have after that is this coming of age story. We're unaware, we're living, we're laboring. We don't know. And then suddenly we have choice. And once we have choice, we become aware and we ask questions and we try to figure it out and we decide who's responsible and we decide we don't want to be the one responsible because we've already decided that we're going to have shame if we do something wrong. And so we start looking for other people to be responsible for the things that we might feel ashamed of. This also works when we're, ta we're talking about early man, right? It also works in children, right? It's the same thing. They just do what they do. You know, there's no one meaner than a two-year-old. <laughs> but we don't see that as mean because we know what they're doing is they're separating from us. They're saying, I'm an independent individual person. But I don't have a very good vocabulary, so I'm just going to say no. No, 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 no. And then we go through that same period in teenage years where we are having to start to separate from our parents in an even bigger way, getting ready to move out into the world and not live with them anymore. So we're still saying no, but our vocabulary has gotten really, really good. <laughs> right? So if Adam is that first expression of God consciousness, this one that's figuring out what's working, what, how the world works, then Eve is that feeling intuitive nature that is necessary for us to be fully human. In almost every creation story besides ours, and ours actually does if you look at Genesis 1, starts with masculine and feminine, that there had to be both. In Hinduism, Brahman is the god, but even Brahman couldn't create the world until he had a female counterpart, because that's the way we work. These are polarities. I don't like to think of them as opposites. I like to think of them as polarities of the same, of the same thing, right? Does that make sense to y'all? I have people sort of staring at me like, oh. Yeah, I may have gone too far down this rabbit hole. So we start asking these questions, and then we start, we also have this intuitive nature that makes us love, that makes us care for our children, that makes us form societies and cultures and families. And all of that is true as well. Now, a little bit of, of historic background is that um, these accounts were written, and there's a lot of back and forth upon when they're written. Some of them say, oh, they were written here because that's the best copy they have. But then there are, there are words that were not in the language at this time. And, and um, 
only came in or at an earlier time and only came into the language later. So was that a trans? We don't know. In other words, we don't know. We don't know. And nobody knows. Nobody knows. But this was written down around a time where most cultures were polytheistic. When the tornado blew you down, that was the tornado god. And when the rain came, that was the rain god. And so the Hebrews were the first um, historically to have this perception that there's only one. That God is the god of tornadoes and rain. God sends the sun and the night. Both. And the Hebrews moved into the land of Canaan, and Canaan was a, a land whose gods were feminine, not masculine. They worshipped goddess. And you can imagine that the Hebrews, going into this land of goddess, might have wanted to make a little bit of impression about, um, yeah, yeah, no, God's a male, and here's how we know. Let me write this story. And I'm not saying this happened consciously, and these stories weren't written like, I'm going to sit down and write a story. They were passed down orally from generation to generation. And man, if any of those storytellers had been anything like my father, they were really embellished upon over time. <laughs> I used to love as a child hearing him, someone tell him a story and then hearing him tell it over and over and over again. And, you know, it started out as two sentences and it ended up 10 minutes, right? That's human nature. That's what we do. And then vice versa. Some of us hear a 10-minute story and go, well, he did this and that. <laughs> That's my summary, right? So humans are involved in this whole thing, and isn't that sort of cool? But um, there was a fear of this female power and therefore a rejection of this goddess energy. And women started to be painted as evil or as weak. And it has permeated society. So it also could be used, you know, when we're doing our reverse, as a justification for the culture that had developed that men were dominant over women. And there was a reason for that. Only the women could have babies, so we needed to keep them safe so they could have the babies. And the men had to go out and do the hunting or whatever, that, the, the more supposedly dangerous things. But... We just couldn't deal with this idea of equality. Male and female made he them in his image. And, you know, it doesn't help that there are no pronouns in Hebrew for um, a, a neuter or a both and. But I will tell you that the, many of the Hebrew names for God were feminine names. Interesting. Interesting. It's a both and. And so... Just, I'm going to just go back. I'm not going to read it all again. But think of, of God breathing breath into our life. That is when we become more than bodies. When we understand that we are more than our body. We are inspirited by God. That one heart that I spoke of earlier. We all have it. We're just not all aware of it. So our job is to become aware of that. And then good and evil. Now we have choices. Now we make this choice and this happens. We make this choice and this happens. And when this happens, we don't feel good. And when this happens, we do feel good. And it just depends. Our, who is judging? Is it our ego judging? Because anything that feels good in our senses seems like a good thing to do. 
Only what we know is some things that feel good in our senses don't have very good consequences. And so we start going, oh, how does this work? How can I find joy without only seeking sense pleasure? How can I refine my choices? And so this is the story of us growing up from not knowing much of anything to starting to discern in our culture, choice. And then God said, you will eat from any tree, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Ooh, death. The creation of the idea of duality. Well, how come people die? Because we, would, we really wish that they wouldn't. Why do people die? And metaphysically, it's our separation from God. Now we are in a temporal body, and we have forgotten that we are part of that one heart. We are breathed, we're inspirited with that one heart, but it's easy to walk around and go, nope, this is me. This is not me. This is me. This is what hurts. <laughs> this is what wants to get in a fight. <laughs> right? Um, and so we have this idea, we get to remember who we really are. We're both masculine and feminine. And even this story of Eve being taken out of Adam's rib shows that the masculine and feminine must both exist. One doesn't do it. We have to have both. Balance. And then Adam and Eve were both naked. And we started to be ashamed. I'm naked. I'm separate from, I'm naked. I'm laid bare. I understand that there is something greater than what I'm doing here. And somehow that made me decide that what I am here is somehow profane rather than sacred. And the serpent said, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. Our ego likes to be like God. I like to decide for everybody else. I think if I ran the world, it would be a really good place. How many people are with me? Only it's you running the world, not me, right? <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. That's what we want to do. So she thought it was good. Like, and, and why wouldn't I want to know? Why wouldn't I want to know? And why wouldn't we want to know? And there is a, a basic difference between the way I was raised in fundamental Christianity, which says, no, the answers are already here. You are not to question. Do not ask the question. I was too afraid to ask, her, ask the question because I believed I would certainly die. Ask the question and you will certainly die. And today what I know is I was given this mind and this heart that is full of wonder and awe and curiosity and can figure things out. Why would God give me that? Why would I have that if I weren't meant to use it? Why would I have my sexuality if I weren't meant to use it or if I was only to hide it in shame? You get how... how um, when this, you know, there's, there's no right way to interpret a myth or a legend or a story. There's no right way, and there's no wrong way, except if you read it as a history. 
When you read it as a history, that's when it causes all the damage. If you read it as absolute truth, that's when it causes all the damage. She did it, he did it, they did it. Well, we all know what that's about. And then God said, cursed is the ground because of you. Can you imagine early man going, why is it so hard to live? All I do is work. And the woman's going, hey, <laughs> all I do is have babies and take care of them. You want to talk about some work? And we were not able to eat from the tree of life. Why? Well, because if we had, we wouldn't die. We have, to have, we have to have a reason for not dying. And here is the thing. We are involved in an evolution. We are involved in our individual evolution. We are growing into who we are becoming. I am not the person that I was 10 years ago or even one year ago. I'm certainly not the person I was 25, 30 years ago when I believed that it was too scary to even ask the question. And starting to ask the questions over the years and a little bit, I'm talking about a little fiber at a time, letting go of that fear that if I ask the question, I will certainly die, be cast into hell where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yes, those are the exact words used to me when I was five. Um, so we're, we're unraveling what's not true and we're finding our way to what is true. That's our individual evolution. And y'all, that is the world evolution as well. And just as some of us in our individual evolution may still be caught in shame, there still is hope that we're gonna move from there to this other place. And just as the world right now seems to be caught in that dualism, in that they think that hate is an opposing force to love and that somehow it can overcome it. It can't. I do not believe that it can, but it can do a lot of damage while it tries. And that's what we're seeing. And I think as we evolve more as individuals and as a, as a culture, as a planet, and we're coming more and more to understand the love that is the truth and the love that we are, that makes the people who are afraid of that in themselves, right? Pull back into a smaller place. And that's just the way it happens. We cling to our opinions until we just can't anymore. And I could go into long stories about how I was dragged, dragged <laughs> through life circumstances out of my initial beliefs and into a place where I believe that I am good, that you are good, that God is good, that we're all one. But it took a long time. So it doesn't matter whose fault. But we learn to question any myth that we're given. If you don't know anything after today, just know that just because someone it tells you it's true doesn't mean it is. We get to rise above. We get to evolve. We get to rise above our station or our class. We get to love who we want. We get to leave abuse. There was a time in this country, and it wasn't very long ago, where a woman would be shamed for leaving a marriage where she was literally 
being beaten until her bones were broken. That is not true today. Now, that still happens today, but it is not the general truth. We understand as a culture, no, 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 that's not right. And we get to leave. And we don't let a rule that was made up by somebody a long time ago convince us to stay when our own consciences and our own hearts knows that it's time to leave. We get to choose that we are all created equal. We have to let go of somebody sometime that said, well, I can use these people better if I don't think of them as people. I can get more out of them. They thought, actually, they were doing horrible damage to themselves and to the people of color that they were using. But that is pervasive. And that's how our society was built. And so we get to ask the question. We get to keep on asking the question, why do I think that? Why do I believe that? And I invite you in everything that's going on with you today, no matter great or small, because all change makers challenged a myth. All of them. Martin Luther King, right? Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Mm-hmm. Harriet Tubman. It is a myth that I am a slave. She said, no, no, no. It's not that I'm going to get free from slavery. It's me saying I am not a slave. That's not who I am. I don't know why y'all think I am, but that is not who I am. And she said it over and over and over again, and she said it so strongly that people believed her. And that's what we can do. You think you're a wretched worm? No. Don't tell me I'm a wretched worm. That's not who I am. I shine. I have the light of God within me. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Y'all, that's us. And if anybody's telling you any different, you just say it over and over and over again. Inside yourself. You don't even have to say it to them. Say it inside yourself until you believe it so strongly, like Harriet Tubman did, that you understand that that's who you are. That that's who you are. And then when you understand that that's who you are, that's what your life is going to show. It's going to show you shining like the sun that you are. So I have gone on a little long. That was a very hard chapter to deal with. Is it any less scary for you now? Is anybody more scared? Okay, you're not admitting it if you are. Okay, we're just going to do a quick... Instead of going into a meditation, I want to do another prayer today. God, we understand that there are people in this room hurting, that there are people in our city, our city's hurting, that there are people who have lost and wandered so far from the truth of who they are, have wandered so far from knowing their oneness with you that the only way that they can claim something good about themselves is to tear down someone else. Is to take something that belongs to someone else so they can say, look, I have more. And we understand that this is a disease. And so God, what we understand is that diseases can be cured. And the cure for every human disease is love. Mm -hmm. 
And so let us today begin to take a look at anything inside ourselves that is grasping or stockpiling or trying to elevate ourselves among, uh, above another. Because what I know is that when we bring love to that situation, we no longer have that need. We know that we can never be above another and another can never be above us because we are one. That is our prayer today. Let us be so filled with this love, so filled with our assurance that this love is who we are, that we can go out into the world just being that love and shining light into all the dark corners. This is how the world changes. This is what Dr. Martin Luther King did. And so many who have followed in his footsteps and who have blazed their own trails and are blazing their own trails today. We give thanks for the trailblazers and we understand that we each have a trail to blaze. Our very own. And so today we breathe in God just as Adam did. Just as the first man breathed in God and knew I am something more than what I seem to be. And go out into the world with this knowledge and bring love into every corner. We can ask for no greater gift. And we know that this is your good pleasure to give us this kingdom of love. And so we say thank you, thank you, thank you, and amen.